You're listening to Adapt and Thrive, a survival guide for the modern marketer with hosts Tom and Kate. Tom Gallego, author and creative director of award-winning digital agency L7 Creative, and Kate Hauser, his incredibly witty, social media-obsessed millennial co-host also of L7 Creative. Join Tom and Kate every other week as they discuss and debate topics around how modern marketers can thrive in the ever-changing and often intimidating landscape of digital marketing. Your survival guide begins now. Welcome back to Adapt and Thrive, a survival guide for the modern marketer. I'm Kate Hauser. And I'm Tom Gallego. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing good. I know you're not feeling the greatest today, but you're going to soldier on and you're going to do our podcast and it's going to be awesome, Kate. I know. Yes. So this is our first podcast where Tom and I are not together in studio sitting two feet across from each other with our fancy headsets and microphones and everything. I wasn't feeling well this morning. So just to be safe, uh, we decided to say, stay remote and stay home um, and make sure that we were, you know, keeping our germs to ourselves. So we're going to see how this goes and we're going to do it, the, you know, how most people did all their podcasts in 2020, hundred uh, percent remote. So I'm excited. It's going to be a good episode. I'm really interested in this topic that we're talking about. Me too. Yeah. So we have Mariana Noli from Noli IP, uh, yes. the legal firm. And why don't you tell the audience a little bit about Mariana? Cause she is special and yes. I've worked with her for quite a number of years. Yeah. So as Tom mentioned, our guest this week is Mariana Noli, an experienced international intellectual property attorney with an impressive track record in representing domestic and foreign clientele across various industries. She is currently serving as president of the Italian American Lawyers Association of Los Angeles, is a member of the law firm management committee of both the Inter-American Association of Intellectual Property and the International Trademark Attorneys Association. Mariana is also part of the executive committee of the intellectual property section of the California Lawyers Association. With the interconnectedness of today's world, protecting your brand is more challenging, but more important now than ever. I don't know when she has time to sleep or do a podcast, but thank you for joining us today, Mariana. Thank you, Kate. Tom, you make me smile. I don't know if I am special, but you definitely made me feel special just now. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. So let's, uh, yeah, let's just kick it off. We were, you know, as we were leading into this, we were talking about how, Mariana, how you work with marketing departments and they typically will come to you with a name for their new, for their new product or in a new service. And it's oftentimes, you know, the catchiest name they can, think of and you made some interesting comments on that i'm going to kind of hand it over to you but before that kind of the lead into that is that um i for one is a creative agency who've who we've crafted names um for decades now and we have a special process that we do that um it, it's just getting more and more difficult to come up with names it's so competitive it's so crowded out there there's so many names that um I would just say you're worth your weight in gold because, you know, oftentimes, you know, you, you have to, that name may not be able to clear and um, that marketing department, if they only have one option, they need to start over or um, yeah, I'd like, I'd, I'd love you to kind of 
comment on that and finish up maybe the, the earlier discussion on, on the challenges you see for marketers today in naming their products and services? Definitely. Well, you know, yeah, I was just saying kind of as a joke, but not really that we're uh, trademark attorneys or attorneys in general, we're not the favorite people but um, of marketing departments, because we sometimes have to come up and say, you know what, this mark is weak from the trademark perspective. It may be a catchy name and it may create a direct association um, between the consumer and the goods or services that you're offering under the brand, but it's a weak brand. So I, um, but we do work with the marketing departments. And it's important that we do because as you just said, it's getting more and more challenging to find, to find marks that are available and that are out there that you can use. A lot of the, there is a lot of competition. A lot of the brands are already taken and you don't want to run into a situation where you spend a lot of time and energy and money creating and building a brand to discover down the road that it was taken by a more powerful or, you know, corporation that will prevent you from continuing to use it. It's better to prevent when it comes to brands. And the the sooner that you talk to a trademark attorney, the the better you will be. And that that's kind of like a summary of what I could tell you. No, that's excellent, excellent advice. And and um, I, I see a lot of mistakes when the name ends up with us the you know the, the agency partner uh, first thing i i ask is hey have you have you cleared this name as have you put it through through legal and in some cases i hear no and in some cases i hear i have the url so we don't need to trademark it and in other cases um they say no, it's in the process, but we need to put all this money behind it now because we need to start marketing it, and we need to sell product or, or, or services. Tell us about some of the issues with that that you see, uh, especially the fallacy that if you own the URL, you kind of own the trademark. Sometimes uh, we want to save some money on legal fees, thinking that it won't be that big of a difference, and it actually is. I can tell you um, without maybe disclosing any confidential information that there are companies that invest a significant amount of money on creating an app and they have this name that they like, they didn't clear it on time. And then they find themselves in the middle of a lawsuit uh, because it was already registered as a trademark. So, um, you may be saving at the beginning, but it's going to cost you more in the end. So clearing the name at the earliest phase certainly would pay off. Um, I can emphasize that enough because, you know, I think the mistake is like, well, you know, it's a risk worth taking. I really don't think so. And you and Kay can talk about this. How important is a brand? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, there, there has it's always kind of been conveyed to me that, for example, you know, some of the, and I love branding, you know that, I love brand yeah. strategy. And, and every year they put out the top, you know, 10 brands, the top 50, the top 100. And 
Coca-Cola or Coke is, is always in that, uh, generally always on that list. So I've always heard that, that about half of the billions and billions of dollars that, that Coke is valued at, the company, about half of it can be attributed to the brand assets, the name, logo, just the goodwill, the branding. So, so the infrastructure and the trucks and the bottles and the liquid are really only 50% of the value of Coke. The rest is the brand. So that, that just speaks to your point. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Hmm. And, wow. and, and I see, to, to kind of back up a little bit, I see uh, companies get so excited about a name. And sometimes I have to kind of just temper their excitement to, to say, you know, let's call my friend. Mariana, for example. And by the way, do you have a second name or a third name, you know, option? Yeah. Most of the time I hear, no, this is, you know, we own the URL or we, we've already started putting money into it. And they think that that gives them enough protection. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's never easy to deliver those news. Um, I guess if you already have a client that selected a brand, and they love it. And then you have to tell them later on, you have to change it. Um, all that investment, it's, it'll, it's very difficult to do it later on. Whereas as the beginning, if you have a few options, I think it's much easier. But I guess I was chatting with Kate about um, a case, one of our clients that had a name for their restaurant chain and, you know, we do part of the work that we do is not only protecting uh, with doing the clearance searches and helping with the registration process, but also with enforcement once you have your trademark registration. And there, we found several smaller restaurants in the area that use that brand. And we successfully were able to get them to change it. But I'm sure for that restaurant owner, that was no fun because you would have to do all your marketing materials, not only the sign, but also um, everything else, the menus, the, the advertising. Right. And you're like your, um, your footprint online too. Like if you have to change all your social media handles, like people wouldn't, they won't recognize that. Like you lose your brand awareness online as well. Yeah. So that so, company, they ended up, they had to change their business name um, entirely. Yeah. Do you, how long were they, had they been in business for? In this particular case, seven, eight months, but other cases we find out sooner. Some other cases, it could be even a year, two years down the road. And as you know, that's a long time for a, a business has already invested a significantly um, significant amount of time, money, energy into building that brand by then. That's right. interesting too, that uh, it should be noted that um, trademark laws are, are, as you pointed out, they're designed to protect consumers. I think if you talk to most business people, most marketers, they would think trademark laws were designed to protect their brand or them. <laughs> but it's... It is in a way, yes, because if you're the brand owner and you sell high quality, so I have a skincare products client and they sell uh, high-end skincare cosmetics, 
And then there is these other brands that come out in the market that, you know, they sell $10 a bottle or 15. They're not, they're not competitors necessarily, but the consumers that buy their products, um, it, it's just diluting their mark as well, right? Like they have a certain value behind their brand. So yeah. it protects consumers, but it also protects the brand owner. This is like kind of what Tom and I were talking about earlier. We were doing some research on different names. And this reminds me a lot of our conversation about Lululemon, because Lululemon, the name for the athleisure brand has nothing to do with athleisure. And it's a super random name. It actually has no meaning behind it. But the founder came up with the name because he was, I think he was like living in Japan at the time. And he was worried about the Japanese market trying to replicate it and come up with, you know, their own version of the same type of product. But there's apparently there's no L sounding in the Japanese language. So he went with Lululemon because it had three consecutive L's. So he was like, no one in this Japanese market could try to replicate my brand name to try to come up with products that are similar. And I thought that was super interesting is his, his approach was just to have a very unique name that would stand out. So not only would it be super memorable, but it would also be hard to mimic and replicate you know there's a there's a lesson there kate and i'm glad you brought that up because I, this is gonna this is gonna, i'm gonna throw this back over to you mariana because what we see a lot of and, and i'd love for you to comment on this is that um marketers continue to and and, and business owners ceos for that that matter continue to name their products and services very descriptive or commonplace names. And um, for example, like Carlsbad beer, we see things like that all the time. And, and I know that when I, I get approached to, to, to promote and brand these new, these, these very descriptive style names, there's always a caution flag that I have because I'm thinking, can, is this name been trademarked? And I'll, I'll usually ask that right out, but can you comment on that? Um, yeah, own? of course. I would love to actually, because when it comes to the selection process of a brand, there are certain terms that are better trademarks than others and better trademarks. I should explain that from the perspective, from the legal perspective. If it is an arbitrary term or a term it's made up as the one in the example that Kate shared, then those are very good trademarks from the legal point of view. They're very strong. It's gonna take more work on your end, but on the legal side, it's certainly gonna be better for us um, to protect it. There's an inverse proportion almost there was what I'm hearing. Like if it's harder to, to market and, and, and explain this, this brand name, it's probably easier to, to protect it and trademark it, right? And vice versa, probably. So yes, yes, that's exactly right. So that's um, when it comes to trademarks, if you... They, they're called fanciful terms. If you make it up on your own and it doesn't have a meaning, it's something, a combination of letters and terms, and um, then it would be possibly very easy to trademark, 
but uh, as far as the marketing goes, it's not going to create that direct association in the consumer's mind. This is what this company stands for. So then the marketing team behind it, it's going to have to do a lot of work to create that direct association. When people see the brand, they know what are they selling? Um, yeah, what type of products they're selling or what type of services they're offering. Right. So, like I can imagine how a client would, what they would do if Tom and I presented Lululemon as the name for an athleisure brand that we were working with. They'd be like, what is that? Yeah, I am. Um, but you know, on the one hand, when you're starting, when you're creating a brand, I think the, in the long run, those may be the best to choose, but it is going to require a, a more significant investment. Right. More work for the marketers. And something else that we talked about, because I know we talked a lot about protecting your brand, um, obviously from the very beginning, including name and logo and designs and things like that. Another thing that we discussed earlier is protecting your brand for where you see the potential for it to grow, not just where you are right now. And I know that you had a client that you um, worked with that kind of learned the hard way about that, like an, uh, a clothing brand. Can you tell us a little bit more about that scenario? Yes, definitely. I have several clients, you know, because we, part of our practice, I would say 70% of our practice is international businesses that do business in the U.S., um, and uh, you may be okay in the jurisdiction where you start selling your products, but you want to make sure when you come up with a brand that you would be okay in these other jurisdictions where you're planning to do business. It was funny because um, as part of our conversation, I went online and looked for brands. There are some funny examples of things that they may be fine in one jurisdiction and then in another jurisdiction, it means something very insulting that consumers probably are not going to buy these products. Like there was a detergent in Iran that it translates to barf. So oh. if you do the translation into English and there are several, like in or, another Norwegian um, company that it sold some consuming product and it it translated into cannibalism and yeah so some of these brands well and you for, forgot the, the most famous one well or infamous was chevy nova right which they went to introduce a big brand in the 70s right mm -hmm. 70s a car car brand car model and they went to sell it in mexico and it literally translates nova translates to no go in yeah Spanish yeah. Uh, throughout that region. So big fail on the part when they had to re rebadge it and rename the, the car. A car know. that won't move. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not good news there, but um, I guess the, the case that I shared with you and we actually were on the winning side. So um, our client had a trademark that they've been selling in all these different jurisdictions. Um, they, they've used it for a clothing line and accessories, Canada, Europe, India, and somebody else rushed to the trademark office here in the United States and registered the trademark. 
and we we were able to to get it back but i guess that goes to show considering how important this market is um you always want to keep in mind where you're going to be doing business and you want to protect your brand in that jurisdiction do you find that there are people who register trademarks without a business associated with them just because maybe they see like oh there's this brand that's international that's doing really well i'm going to see if they're registered in the us and if they're not i'm going to register it here because one day i know they'll come knocking and have yeah to- yeah there is actually i do think that you know if you are in my area you know there're two mainly two systems and as the world continues to become more global the two systems get um closer to each other so the one system is where we are in the US common law basically the rights accrue to your brand with use so whoever uses the brand is the owner of the brand and the other system that is based on civil code and it's more like continental europe latin america because it inherited um that um system is whoever owns the registration and this comes from like historically the the king basically like the title meant everything not so much uh who was using so if the trademark office in argentina gave you a registration then you are the owner of the mark well i can tell you a very famous case with hard rock cafe and this is back when i was in law school a long long time ago um it, it was very famous because hard rock cafe we all know it's worldwide known very successful enterprise when they went to argentina somebody else an individual had gone and registered it without even using the mark and that person got a very large compensation for that registration it can happen but when i was talking about the two systems in the us you can only obtain trademark registration if you are using the mark if there is no use if you don't have a business then but there is plenty of fraud in the trademark office and that's an issue without boring our audience there are a lot of people that say that they're using a mark they just put a sticker or a label and they show use or they create a website but they're not really offering the services and i can tell you i was part of a delegation a dc delegation with the california lawyers ip section earlier this year and when we met with the patent and trademark office representatives they're they're very strict they're very strict now reviewing specimens and making sure that the people that say they're using the trademarks they're actually using it because they want to avoid these issues people saying they own a trademark when they don't right so yeah that could be a whole side business for someone it feels like i mean it's wrong but it feels like if someone could just be coming up with a bunch of names that they think someone might want one day and they save them yeah similar to squatting on urls right we see that yes yeah you know when i never answer your question i'm sorry this is something um you've asked me about the url how your clients come to you and say well no i don't have the trademark i didn't do the clearance but i did register the domain name right and that is a misconception because if there is another third party that is able to register the trademark they will prevent you from using that url 
you won't be able to use it. So it's two different things that it's important that um, maybe our listeners or potential clients or existing clients are educated about. It's very different things, the trademark and having the domain name, the URL. Trademark relates to the use. And I can tell you one of my clients owns the trademark uh, Pao Coffee, and this one's a very recent one also. Um, they're, they're able to prevent if somebody buys the domain Pao Coffee and starts selling coffee under that brand because they own the trademark. So that domain basically is worthless for the purposes of selling coffee. I don't know if I explained that in easy terms. Um, well, you you did. It's it's kind of the chicken and the egg scenario. Um, what I what I'm interpreting is it's it's best to it's best to own both the trademark and the the, the domain always, name. <laughs> yes, that is always the case. But if but, you just had to own one, if you just if you can just own one, actually the trademark, the trademark because yeah. the trademark you will be able to stop them. They won't be able to use it. They won't. They they can have the domain, but they are not able to use it because you have the trademark. So in connection with your goods and your services, you have the exclusivity. So for example, and there are some brands that are more aggressive defending their rights. There are other brands that are not as aggressive. I can give you examples. Last year, we had so many disputes with very well-known companies and you know, um, everybody had different approach to, to situations, but we have a client that sells jewelry and their girls crew and J crew, the, the clothing company opposed to their trademark. And we, we settled that matter, but they're, they're very aggressive um, protecting their brand. And another one is Dell has a line of um, speakers for computers that they have an alien. I think it's Alienware and our client was Alien Pro and we were able to register our client's trademark. I guess some companies are very aggressive. They don't want anything that is similar to their companies. Yeah, we had another one, Purpose Driven Athletics, Richard Warren, the pastor that has Purpose Driven and, you know, without really offending anybody, but I, I would think of the pastor for um, education or a spiritual counseling, but not necessarily for athletics and fitness. And, you know, but um, yeah, some of these trademark owners go after others and they try to exclude everybody from using any remotely similar brand and you know then that will depend on who defends you and what arguments you can make but again I'm going back to the moral of the story I think that it's better to prevent and invest earlier rather than wait later to see what happens <laughs> yeah, right, yeah good advice from um, the expert here um, in trademarking and intellectual property and that brings up I got a, a topic I wanted to touch on, which is IP. And I see this 
both 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 sides. I see both sides uh, of the of the fence here in, in my career um, with marketing departments and particularly IP, where some marketing departments uh, use do a really good job with the IP. They 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 position it as a as a secret sauce or a unique selling pro or USP, you know, unique selling proposition. And other marketing departments almost completely ignore it or haven't used it. And I've, and I've always thought that was a mistake because usually your IP is what makes you, you and your brand, the, the product, the service. And um, I, I just don't see enough marketing departments, you know, finding new, really rich and interesting ways to, to, to market their products based on the IP. And, and just wondering if you, what you see there from your, your, your side, Mariana. Are, are you saying that maybe the marketing departments don't understand the value of IP? Yes. That's a bet. Well, hmm. you just said it in a, in five words. <laughs> And yeah. IP in this case is intellectual property. Property, yes. You know, I yeah, it could be. Some some may not. Others may. I don't know. I do want to bring something up because I thought these lawyers were very creative and they work together with the marketing department actually. But there are some videos on YouTube out there. It's a commercial for Velcro, and I think they did a really good job. These are brands that are becoming generic terms for the products mm -hmm. that they represent. And the marketing department put together some really creative uh, commercial where it explains, you don't call it Velcro, you know, don't call Velcro is the brand and the product is the, it's different. So just make sure that you remember that Velcro is a brand. I um yeah and thinking speaking of that there's you know Kleenex everybody yes. uh, is, has mm -hmm. turned that into a noun now instead of a a, a brand uh we, we see and I've always learned throughout the years you know what's some of these what started out as brands have have, have are on the verge of, of of losing their brand status like like for example thermos you know yes uh, uh, kerosene was a brand at one point, but now it's generally referred to as a type of fuel. So, so what, what do you see there, Mariana? That's the price of fame because they're so famous and they're leaders in the industry. We have one client and this one, I won't disclose the name, but they're very successful. And because the name, their registered trademark is the way people refer to this particular game, then everybody calls the game their registered trademark. And that's an issue for us. Um, it, it, really, it really is an issue that lawyers have to prevent, that they have to prevent the trademark from becoming the generic term for the, the product or the services that they represent. So it's, you know, Xerox, right? Or Google. Oh, Google this or Google that. Um, right. Those are brands and very important brands. So I, I think 
you know, ideally in an ideal world, and I know that when we're talking about startups or the smaller businesses, not everything is ideal. So I always tell my clients, well, we'll work with your budget. You know, I understand that this is not the priority. You have a lot of other things that you need to do, but um, in an ideal work, the marketing team should work together with the legal team. And as you said at the beginning, have a few options before you get too invested. Um, I mentioned to Kate, you know, the name of your business or of your product, it's gonna be so important. Kind of like when you name a baby, you think about all these possible names that are options and maybe you come up with names because they remind you of somebody you admired or you cared about or you hope that that um, new baby is going to have some characteristics of um, the person that you're thinking of when you come up with a name or it could be any reason but the, the name of your company it's going to embody the values and everything that um, that you stand for so I I think it's worth the time of everybody working together to make sure that down the road, you don't have these type of headaches that can become very costly. So they can become very, very costly. For yeah, sure. very well, very well put, Mariana. Yeah, and right. I think that's a good place to wrap, Kate. I mean, this we kind of came all the way full circle there, and uh, it's been such a such a pleasure talking to you, Mariana. And you're so so knowledgeable about this particular field and. Um, it's just our, our honor really to have oh, you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. I did. I feel, I feel like silly for saying this, but I did not know that domain name registration and trademarking a business name were like different. <laughs> now I'm like, I feel like if you ever register a domain, like it's not even worth doing it until you know that the, if the actual name is taken. So I took that away and protect your brand from the very beginning, protect your brand for where you see the potential for it to grow in different countries. And maybe think outside the box with your branding, come up with something super random and challenge your marketing team to market a name that is maybe a little bit random so that you have more protection. Good point. Yes. Unique. I'll say, I'll add unique to that. And there you uh, go. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not derivative, not so much descriptive. Um, might be a little more difficult or challenging to to establish the brand and market it but once you do it can really make a difference yep yeah. exactly well All thank right. you so much for joining us it was a pleasure getting to speak with you and i feel like we've definitely challenged some of our listeners i people are probably going to go home and google trademark <laughs> registration after this so <laughs> That's great. That's great. Thank you, Kate. And always a pleasure talking to you, Tom. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Adapt and Thrive, a survival guide for the modern marketer. If you liked what you've heard, subscribe and drop a comment on what topics you'd like to hear in future episodes. Good luck out there, marketers. Until next time.